Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today for the Friday Reporter podcast. Today's episode is one uh, that I think many of you will recognize my guest, uh, Alex Gangatano, is uh, now with The Hill newspaper covering the White House. But before that, she wrote this column, for those of you who aren't inside the Beltway, called Heard on the Hill, which is a must-read what is happening on the Hill. Uh, Could be from someone's uh, spotted at a lunch to uh, two unlikely uh, people walking down the street in Washington, D.C. It's kind of a gossipy, fun column, and I love that you wrote that. And Alex, I'm so grateful for you to be with me today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to join you. So Alex, tell me, uh, so you are a DC native, which my husband is also a DC native, which makes Mm -hmm. you guys mostly unicorns around here. But uh, (laughs) tell me a little bit about how it is uh, you ended up, uh, you went to school in Villanova, but tell me a little bit about your background and how it is you got into journalism. Yeah, definitely. So I'm from, um, yeah, the Maryland suburbs, DC, the Bethesda area. So I think just kind of the, I got the bug to be a reporter. I guess you can't really call it the political bug because I never wanted to work on the Hill or work in politics. I wanted to do straight reporting always mm-hmm. um, at a pretty young age, which is kind of funny to think like the little 10 year old girl or whatever, um, always wanted to be a political reporter. And I also always wanted to write for a newspaper. Um, so things just kind of followed along that path. I always had that in the back of my mind. So I went to Villanova. I was a political science and English major there. Um, mentioned it's outside of Philadelphia. So then I mm-hmm. came back to DC after college. Um, and I was lucky enough to have some great internships in college, which is really important for, um, at least when I was looking for, uh, I think reporters it still to have is. under their belts. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And they're, they're competitive. I was at the New Yorker one summer before my Fine. senior year. And Fine. that was pretty amazing. I got to live in New York for the summer. Mm-hmm. I realized that how much I love DC, which is always a nice feeling Interesting. <laughs> to try another city. Um, and then, and I interned in a national journal for one of my summers, uh, which is owned by the Atlantic. And that was um, a really awesome internship. I remember it was uh, during the 20. 20- uh, 12 election. And so there was a lot going on. It was that summer. So I had a lot under my belt. And when I graduated from college and I started at CQ pretty much right away, mm-hmm. and I was doing research for them. I covered, I, I looked at legislation. It was a lot of scanned bills mm-hmm. <laughs> into the system. What's funny uh, is that is when you get started, <laughs> when you get started in political communications or you get started in political reporting, it's a lot of the same grunt work. <laughs> So I'm familiar with that grunt work. Uh This was like when um, the House Armed Services Committee would mark up the NDAA. I would like at two o'clock in the morning be scanning amendments. It was so funny. Um, And so a lot of grunt work, but a lot of just like pretty much a master's in how how we get smart. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. So I did my time at CQ for a little, and then I moved over to Roll Call. As you mentioned, I wrote Heard on the Hill 
for a few years, which was awesome. It was such a fun, it's a, it's a true legacy column. I think anyone who's worked in, in DC on Capitol Hill and politics knows what Hurt on the Hill is because mm-hmm. there's actually some amazing reporters who have written it and come before me, came before me writing it. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool line um, of people. And so I got the honor of taking over and it was, uh, when was that? It was definitely, I remember I was there for the 2016 election. So it was probably around that time, maybe a little before 2016 that sure. I started I, uh, so I wrote that for about two and a half years and then I moved over to the Hill and I wrote, and I wrote, uh, I was a lobbying reporter, excuse mm-hmm. me, for, uh, I started right after the 2018 election, the midterms took over the lobbying beat, stayed until now June 1st, I moved over to the white house beat at the Hill. So, so it's fun. been a good run. Yeah. What always amazes me is that, um, and a great White House to follow and, and certainly um, a super exciting time to be doing what you do. But it dawned on me as you were sort of recycling the timeline of your career, so much of what happens in this town, unlike any other town that I can think of anyway, is that we tack our accomplishments and tack our like timeline to election cycles. Like both, mm-hmm. both of my children were born, you know, off cycle. So uh, ex- I mean, like people plan their weddings like off cycle uh, or mm-hmm. like around the cycle. So anyway, it's so it just dawned on me as you were sort of running through that that timeline is that like, I don't think they do that anywhere else. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, it's so funny. That's what that's how I can like keep track of everything. So I'm like, okay, I know it was a midterm. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting thing I think about it being I, I started the lobbying beat right after yeah, the 2018 midterms. And a lot of people that work on the Hill move around after an election, yes. you know, and yeah. so that's a typical transition time in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was at Hurt on the Hill, I got to know staffers really well. And I would I work a lot with staffers. I would do interviews with staffers, uh, use them as sources and all that. And so then the staffers that moved downtown, basically when I moved, quote unquote, downtown, like to cover the downtown B, right. is when uh, I we were all kind of in this group together. And so that's that was a great. funny way that I didn't realize that when mm-hmm. I took the job that timing turned out like that but it actually was great because it was a lot of sources who were like i'm new to k street you're new to covering k street we were just on the hill together all of us in the capital mm-hmm. together so let's you know I'll, I'll stay being a source for you we'll navigate this at the same time so it That's actually perfect. worked out really well and in a town full of bold face names writing the hurt on the hill it, to me seems like just great training ground just a great opportunity for you to get to know who's who and who's doing what uh because even as you move to that k street beat and now even at the white house i'm sure that there are people that have followed you through their career because that's how this town works people move uh you know every two to three you know two years or so they move from place to place uh especially early in in their career tell me a little bit alex what is it like um what is the change? So you've only been there now a month uh, covering the White House. How uh, how would you compare the difference between covering uh, Congress and uh, K Street, which is downtown, uh, to the White House beat? How has that changed for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. So the covering Congress is, I think, one of the greatest jobs of all time because you're literally in this, well, unless it's coronavirus but typically (laughs) you're in this building and everyone's together and everyone's kind of in the same boat like whether it's a late vote 
I mentioned the NDAA markups that went till 2 a.m. Like you're all there with you know, the lawmakers and the staffers and the reporters. So it really is such a community. Yeah. And the sense of community is so powerful there that uh, even reporters from other outlets, you all are kind of just like unified in this, like we're capital people. Mm-hmm. So then moving downtown, it's a much smaller pool of reporters. There's only a handful of people that really focus on K Street. Yeah. So, which is great for source building because the Hill people know how the has a lobbying reporter and always has. And so as soon as I came into the beat, people immediately wanted to meet you and, and talk to you about the story ideas and what they're working on. Um, and of course, in a typical lobbyist fa- fashion, there was a lot of lunches and coffees and breakfasts and all the above which (laughs) we're the most caffeinated the downtown people are the most caffeinated people in all of washington dc i'm convinced (laughs) but then a certain like 5 p.m strikes and they're like oh well then it's time then it's time for happy hour of course (laughs) it's so funny and so going from the hill that's like staffers there are like running on caffeine like barely have time to go to happy hour, let alone like spend hours there. Mm -hmm. And then, and like, you didn't have lunch with staffers because it was like, okay, let's talk for 20 minutes in cups. Mm -hmm. And then we both have to get back to work. Whereas lobbyists are a little more, let's talk for a while, get to know each other. Cause you do have to build a pretty strong level of of trust uh, to get um, information and to be able to generate unique stories and all of that. So that was a really fun transition. And of course, a lot of lobbyist reformer staffers, as we mentioned. And mm-hmm. so they know, they knew Heard on the Hill. We could talk about the Capitol. They had great stories. I had stories to share. So a lot in common there. And now covering the White House, um, it's awesome. I mean, it's my dream job and it is so exciting every day to get to, we go, I go in once or twice a week to the mm-hmm. briefing room and it's just so cool being in there and the other reporters are all so impressive and such, you know, and uh, important names in our industry that it's so great to be in the same room as them. Essentially, uh, it's a little. I, mean, I haven't navigated the source building. It's just different because so, you know, sure. lobbyists w- want to be your source and mm-hmm. they want to talk to you. Whereas if you work at the White House, not so much. So it's not so easy. Still yeah. navigating those waters, but mm-hmm. um, so far it's super exciting and. It's really a dream job. So I could not be more happy about it. I think what people don't realize too is how small that room is. You know, so so many people have seen that room, um, you know, during the news briefing and it looks like, you know, an ordinary size conference room. But the truth is, is that it is really small. So here you are sort of, you're right, you're surrounded by these names that you recognize from even uh, many of them are names that have been there for some time, you know, it's names crazy. that are well-known journalists that are doing great work. And then here you are with, you know, people that are in the White House that have been doing some really remarkable things. How has, um, so you started obviously after the restrictions started to lift some, how is that now, um, now that it looks like that, you know, folks have been vaccinated and there's less of, um, less of restrictions. How has that changed? Um, what's it like getting there? You said you go there a couple times a week now. Yeah. So I'm, I joined a team of, there were two people. So now there's three of us on the White House team. Mm-hmm. So my, my coworkers previously, before I joined, you could only go in every now and then. So they could rotate and the briefings themselves were very limited in the amount of reporters who would be there. Sure. Everyone would be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. There had to be testing before even being able to go in, especially also if you were on pool duty, you had to get tested. So now it's, it's actually 
probably like the most crowded room I've been in in, in sure. over a year. I'm sure. Because yeah, as you mentioned, people, you underestimate how small it is when you see it on TV, it's but it's very small like everyone's on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and all of us are just like hovering over one another, yelling. On, so um, it's definitely an adjustment. And I think I never, you know, lived through it being uh, limited. And I actually got in like right when it opened back up, which I'm lucky. I'm lucky that that was my, I, I never lived through the other part of it. Although that is historic to an extent. It is. Um, of yeah, of for what sure. it had to be like. Yeah. How um, was, but before yeah, then though, were you, uh, were you going into the office? I mean, you re- probably didn't have to because covering the K street is definitely a lot of, since folks weren't really doing lunches and coffees, they were probably doing a lot of phone calls. Exactly. So it was interesting timing for me because my source building, I already had a couple years under my belt. And so mm-hmm. people could still call me uh, and I could still work on my relationships from afar. And so, you know, there weren't coffees, there weren't uh, lunches, but there was a lot of phone calls that like I would go for a walk around my block for 20 minutes and talk to a source and catch up like as if I was at coffee with him or her. And right. so that was super helpful to be able to continue with that. And I think a lot, a lot of lobbyists got used to that too. So mm-hmm. we were all in the same boat on that. But then I do think I was lucky that I did have those couple years under my belt. Cause if I was newer to the beat, I think it would have been really difficult to continue to have sources throughout COVID without that face-to-face Definitely. Uh, trust building. You're now so the second the reporter. Yeah, you're the second mm-hmm. reporter now that brought up that disadvantage for some of the sort of younger journalists that are coming up into the um, into this beat and, and covering this, um, this town is that source building is so much, um, you know, a lot of it's in person, a lot of it's over coffee, a lot of it is, you know, meeting people at events, and that wasn't happening. So there was a lot of a disadvantage for those who were just getting started. Um, and same is true for communicators, you know, for a lot of the communicators, even um, sharing, you know, media lists, it's harder for them mm-hmm. to get a sense of what it is reporters are covering. You can read what they're writing, but a lot of times it really does take getting a cup of coffee or getting uh, a call to, to have a conversation and being a lot of times you get introduced through other reporters you've worked with in order to make those mm-hmm. connections. So that is really, um, well, that's something certainly I think we're all looking forward to is getting back to a little bit more of the normal rhythm that is Washington, DC. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it will be an adjustment once things open up and the rhythm becomes as crazy as it, as it used to be. Uh, we all have to go back to that, but I think it's, it's true that so many of these source meetings that reporters do, a lot of it is just, you sit with someone and you say, so what are you working on? Like, what clients are you, do you have, if I'm talking to a lobbyist, Mm -hmm. what are their interests? What are they asking you about? And it's just kind of these vague open-ended questions, but it really is so helpful then for them to say, you know, we're watching this legislation or my clients are super interested in this or even this campaign out in this state or whatever. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions about. Whereas then from my end, lobbyists ask the same thing of what are you working on? How can I be of help? Like, what are you interested in following and all of that? And so those conversations, while they do seem very open-ended, end up narrowing down. Oftentimes I'll, I'll leave a conversation like that and, and have three new story ideas, mm-hmm. um, and maybe some ideas of people to talk to. So without being able to have that, there had to be another way to do it. And so thankfully phone calls, sometimes I would do zoom and 
be looking at the person too, which is fun. <laughs> yeah. um, but thankfully people, everybody kind of adapted to that because those, that is such a needed part that kind of makes Washington work also. Wow. It's, and it's part of the reason why this little podcast uh, came together in the first place was because I felt like, you know, my connections with uh, my media contacts and, and, and colleagues that I work with um, was, it's more difficult, you know, so this gave us an excuse to shoot the breeze, gave us an opportunity to, to share some, uh, some conversation, and then also pass on some of that, um, that wisdom and that advice to other folks who, uh, who do listen in. So you mentioned, though, that there are, uh, there are three of you from the Hill that cover the White House, is that right? Yep. So how do, you, now. how do you guys divide? How, what's the division of labor? Is there a specific part of what the White House covers that you care about specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. So we've discussed that of, you know, if there's something that one of us has a particular interest in, then it's definitely something that they get to, you know, own or cover more. Um, but it really is such a team sport because things are, I mean, during the Trump years, which I was not a White House reporter during, but that was, there was just so much content that mm -hmm. you couldn't even organize to break it up in such an organized fashion. Mm -hmm. I should say it's, it was more of, okay, you're available, you do this, you do this. Yeah. Um, now we switch up who goes to the briefing that day. Okay. But then you're right, if there is something that is of interest. So I've been covering the uh, Catholic bishops uh, discussing politicians uh, who, are, or who um, are supportive of abortion rights and mm -hmm. communion. Mm -hmm. And I've just kind of started following that more. And mm -hmm. so it's been something that when something new happens, I'm kind of... Uh, the the point person for that. I see. And then when I first went to the White House beat or was kind of pitching myself to join the White House beat uh, to my editors, I've um, I've always had an interest in covering gun policy, um, and I think that stems from literally back when I was in at CQ. I wrote a story about a big story about uh, how parents of survivors of of gun violence or victims of gun violence became big advocates in Washington about uh, changing gun laws and all that. So that was something that I've been covering throughout my career. Mm -hmm. And so Biden is very interested in that. And it was a big part of his campaign. And I think we'll see him do more um, on gun policy going forward. So that's an area that I was like, I, I know a lot about this. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to keep uh, to kind of smart. be able to own that. And that's yeah. so smart too, especially because, you know, if you've already gotten a, a stable of, of stories and resources and uh, access points for those issues, then it makes sense that you would obviously cover them. Have you had a chance to travel yet with the White House? Will you travel with them? I will. Um, we don't, we're not in the international pool, but okay. we are in the domestic pool. And mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I need to like get in the system in the sense of basically I need to like go get my fingerprints to make sure that I have mm -hmm. what they call the hard pass. Mm -hmm. um, and so that will be eventually. Um, now that things are opening back up, they have like a backlog. It's, it's a lot going on, but oh, yeah, um, of course, of once course. I can do all that. But that's so funny. <laughs> um, I mean, that's such a fun element of that, of oh that job. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. I feel like I won't fully believe that I have like been on Air Force One until I'm like, or that I will be on Air Force One until I'm like literally on it. On and it. then I'm like, okay, this well, is real. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to come back and visit with us again and tell you tell us what it's like because that is a really cool different uh, element to to reporting in general, just sort of being oh in gosh. that environment. Um, and 
Yeah, it's it, many of the people that I've talked to so far, lots of cover lots of different things, and many of them travel for campaigns. But uh, but you mm-hmm. are nominated, you've been nominated by Kate Ackley, by the way, who is our great buddy yeah. and covers K Street. Um, but you also are the first of uh, the reporters that I have spoken to that really sort of is solely dedicated to covering the White House beat. So you'll have to keep us posted about how that's going along. That's super, super exciting. So glad that, that you will do that. So Alex, I'm going to do a little pivot here. I want to talk a little bit about something that's near and dear to your heart, a project that you uh, founded and and run for a, a dear friend of yours, the Kerry Holbrook Foundation. Tell me a little bit about uh, what it is you're doing with that project. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So Carrie and I went to college together at Villanova, as we talked about, and she passed away of pancreatic cancer uh, very shortly after we graduated, just a few months. So to kind of cope with what I was going through, Mm -hmm. um, I started a foundation to, we raise money for kids with cancer Mm -hmm. to basically, we say, live like Carrie did. Mm -hmm. So kids will or families often will contact us or will find people online, which is always really cool through you know Facebook or other means that mm-hmm. we come across somebody with a mutual friend or sometimes even like a GoFundMe page. And then I'll do some research about them and reach out. And essentially we like to say there's different, the qualifications are, you know, you have to use the money for something like education or travel or basically something that you're not able to do because of your illness. Mm -hmm. So like last year we bought a girl in Washington, DC who is a, uh, who has cancer. Um, She's in remission now was going off to college. So we bought her a new laptop to kind of help out with her travel with her college expenses. Yeah. So we do things like that. Um, And Carrie lived such a full life. She traveled abroad to study, she did community service. And so all things like that, if you want to do something like that, will help out. Mm-hmm. But then there's also medical bills and we're, we always are help want to help on that level too. Even if it's, you need treatment and your family needs to be in a hotel for a week in yes. New York city or whatever, mm-hmm. we're happy to pay those bills um, or just any sort of treatment expense that's adding up. So we've been able to help um, a few dozen kids now Um, yeah it's very fulfilling and her family is my board as we call it that they uh they kind of are my ceo and and coo and all that and Mm -hmm. so i i pass along who i find and we all approve of it together and that's so great um get to know the the student and the the child also which is nice to have that community that's such a great such a great tribute to a friend who, uh, and I will make sure that when I do uh, put out word about the podcast, I'll make sure I put the link to the foundation so folks can uh, continue to follow and be supportive to to your efforts thank too. Because such a great, such a great cause. Um, thank you. So thank you for for sharing that with us because I know that that's yeah. something that's important to you. I hoped maybe you might tell me um, what it is. You know, so here we are. We're coming out of COVID. We're feeling a little bit like this. I mean, it's Washington D.C., so it's no less than a hundred degrees. Every Every day from now until September, um, mm-hmm. but what is it that what is it that you were doing during uh, during the quarantine um, that was keeping you busy? Did you have any fun activities or anything that you did in particular that uh, kept life uh, interesting for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I've always been like a 
into having side tasks like the foundation is, mm-hmm. is a good example of that that just in any downtime i have something else going on um so covid was tough for me mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah um i did i i got a peloton okay <laughs> i don't know if awesome. you've heard that from people before i have i have <laughs> that was a, that's a pretty classic move yeah that, yeah <laughs> that people that are um able to do that and so that's been fun and it's been I think really good for my kind of mental health too. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. To have that time to myself every day because I will say, like, work got crazy. It was so busy. I mean, we were covering the story of a lifetime, yep. really. And mm-hmm. so you needed to take breaks. You needed to be able to have some downtime and, or some me time, I guess you should say. Mm-hmm. So it was nice uh, to have that. I do, I, run when I can. But as you mentioned, it's now to be 100 <laughs> degrees for the next two months. So I probably <laughs> At least. will stick to the Peloton. <laughs> At least. There, um, are, so yeah. there are so many people that have found fitness, that have found mm-hmm. mindfulness, that have found, uh, I mean, and we've gone, we've gone uh, the full gamut, right? Everybody has had, uh, you know, many people have taken up more drinking, many people have taken up more eating, there's a whole everybody did whatever they needed to do to kind of get through it. But, uh, but definitely have had a couple of guests that are uh, Peloton uh, evangelicals. (laughs) My husband and I uh, spent quite a bit of time at our gym, and it definitely gives us life. So I get that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely. Totally. It's Uh, such a good just to think, okay, I'm gonna just not look at my computer, look at my email for 45 minutes a day, which sounds crazy that that's something that you have to mentally do but there were points in the pandemic that was like stop stopping working was very difficult yeah you know I heard somebody once say and it kind of resonated with me that it's not necessarily that we're working from home it's that we live in our office and Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to sort of peel away the the day doesn't end when it's time to get in your car that it's easier for you to get up and go straight to the the desk and start to work so having something like like Peloton or an exercise class to sort of break up that day for you is, is great. It's like, it's, it forces you to put down the phone and walk away from all of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to be there when you get back, much like we, much like we said, the cycles in DC are sort of similar, you know, you could put it down and you could pick it up and it's like a soap. Somebody, in fact, an earlier guest uh, compared it to a soap opera because regardless of whatever happens, you can always kind of come back to it and catch right up because the the players are similar, maybe not all the same, but, uh, but the drama is, uh, is definitely uh, similar and alike. Yep. Lots of drama, lots to watch. (laughs) Always, always. So Alex, tell me, uh, as we look forward to future episodes of this podcast, is there anyone in town or anyone that you've worked with that you think might be a good future guest for the Friday Reporter? Yeah. So one, um, I got to, of course, tout a female reporter because Mm -hmm. that's what we do. And um, my uh, friend, Melanie Zanona, I think would be awesome. She was actually at CQ with me back in the day. Then she went to the Hill and I kind of followed her to the Hill. And then she went to Politico and now she's headed to CNN. So she's had quite the career and I think she'd be awesome to talk to. She and I've worked together. That's fantastic. And I had heard the news about CNN. So I'll try to catch her before she, maybe I can catch her before she gets there. That'd be great. Yeah. Exciting time. So fun. Well, Thank you, Alex, so much for being with me today. It was such a fun opportunity to chat and to visit. And uh, I look forward to keeping up with you and following you as you uh, get on that uh, Air Force One and do the work that you'll be doing over the course of the next few years. Uh, Thank you so much again for joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'll definitely report back once I get on the plane. (laughs) Terrific. That sounds good. Thank you. Have a good one. 
And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.